This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey, and welcome back to the Young Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Kenzie Aaron of Aaron Iron and Steel. It's good to have you. So, we have a very special guest in the studio today with us. Well, the figurative studio. He is a fantastic young knife maker. He's doing a lot of incredible things with Damascus and integrals. And, yeah, he's just making some really beautiful work. So, with that, I'd like to introduce you guys to Silas Backlow of Tiny Town Forge. Uh, Tell him about yourself. Uh, Thank you. Um, I guess... There's not much to say. I kind of just doodle around a lot. All right. Well, we'll just get right into it. I'll give you some time to think about it for a second. Today in the sh- in the podcast, we're going to be talking about you, Silas, and the work that you do, why you do it, uh, your plans for the future, challenges and advantages of being a young maker, and talk about a lot of knife stuff. I'd like to start mm-hmm. by talking about something not knife-related. Because I would like this podcast to grow from just knives into all crafts. So if there's anybody out there listening, any young makers doing leather, jewelry, woodworking, you know, whatever it be, don't hesitate to send us a message over at um, Young Makers Podcast on Instagram, all one word. I'll put the, the link to our Instagram in the show notes. I'll also put links to my personal Instagram and Tiny Town Forge, Silas's Instagram, as well as his website in the link. And I noticed that you have a lot of knives for sale up on there. So we'll have to talk about that, and hopefully we can get you a sale or two off of here, eh? <laughs> yep, hope so. Thank you. We'll talk about that later. Hopefully now you've thought, yeah, tell, just tell them about you know the work you do, you know your knives, what do you like about it. Just give us a little bit of insight into what you do. All right, well, uh, nowadays I mostly do uh, mosaic Damascus integral blades of pretty much all sorts. Um, I like to think that I specialize in uh, kitchen knives, but I make pretty much anything uh, that I can. Um, I've got a little shop outside of my house. uh, Just like I can just walk from the house to the shop. It's pretty nice. Um, and I try to, I try to get in there and work as much as I can, uh, makeshift, uh, yeah, that, that's what I do mostly. That's fantastic. And I would really like to talk about your Damascus cause that's something I know I'm, I'm hammering all by hand. So I've only done very little Damascus and I'd like to talk to you about what you do with yeah. that. First, let's get into um, what's been going on in your shop this weekend, what, or this week? What have you been working on recently? Uh, well, I just finished um, two integral mosaics. One was a was a actually a feather that was sort of like a integral guard uh, fighting knife. Uh, that was pretty cool. I've also been getting into using antlers uh, as handle material, so I did a little bit of that. It's really stinky, kind of annoying, but. It looks really good. Um, I've been working on trying to get uh, my mosaic, like the actual patterns and mosaics, 
as styled in as I can. And they're getting better uh, than they were, but you know, there's always more to learn. So yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. I also just last night finished um, a little stock removal knife, uh, and I think I might make five or six of them, like like the same design and stuff, and see if I can sell those uh, a little bit cheaper because most of my stuff's pretty expensive on the website. Uh, get get a little bit variation in the price range of stuff that I can offer. So that there's uh, something for everybody. Yeah. Mostly that. Oh, that's really... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Okay, that, that, that's, most, that's mostly it. I've been trying, I've been trying to get... Uh, trying to learn how to do uh, hollow grinds and such. I don't have a, like a big contact wheel, but I've got like just the two uh, wheels on either side of my uh, flat platen. And I've been trying to get like little hollow grinds in the... In the some of my knives, but it's, it's working pretty well. They're really hard to hand sand, though, um, without like taking the wheel off of the grinder and like wrapping it in sandpaper and trying to sand it that way. But I might make like a dedicated hand sanding block with a two-inch radius. Yeah, or I wonder if you hand can find a dowel, back. a wooden dowel that big. Probably that that wouldn't be too hard. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'll probably do that. Well, that's really sweet. I'm jealous. Uh, I haven't done any knife work in the last month, so I'm like shaking here with the need to get to work. I just did um, some summer classes to get ahead, so I've just been working on that for a month and camping and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I write my exam tomorrow, and then August I'm planning on working every day and make as many knives as I can. I just recently did some with Antler too, and nice. it is, it may stink, but it's so nice to work with. Like, I love how yeah. the hardness of it, isn't it? Like, I know I, I did facets on it. I did a octagonal mm-hmm. style handle and it was, oh, and it polishes up so nice. So I'm excited to work more with that too. It really does. It's like super satisfying to file. Yeah. I kind of noticed that it just files really nicely. And you can sand it to like 400 or 600 and then just buff it and it's shiny as heck. It's pretty awesome. And it feels like stone almost. Like it's, it feels hard, but it works so easy and it doesn't load your files up. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's pretty great. And I don't think water will mess it up. So I think it's kind of nice for, for kitchen knives. I know, I know you can dye it. So it does like absorb stuff but i don't think water like messes it up i don't think not it like gets wood. like rotten no no it doesn't yeah all right well that's fantastic and i'd like to talk about your processes and you know don't divulge any secrets but i'd like to get into <laughs> just how you you know sort of some techniques you like but first let's start with how did you get into this what's your backstory how long have you been doing it why did you get into it all that let's start at the beginning Oh boy. So, um, it so it mostly started with just liking metal and metalworking, all kinds. Uh, I started with uh, silversmithing. Actually, I made rings and little bits of jewelry and pendants and stuff uh, in the basement because my dad had some of the tools necessary. Um, but 
my interest in knives just goes back really far. Like I was always a sort of outdoorsy kid, so I, uh, you know, I I understood how they worked and uh, stuff like that. But mostly, I would just spend hours and hours and hours uh, watching YouTube videos, uh, man at arms, the old stuff, uh, Walter Sorrells, all those guys, and uh, I kind of got a head start because I understood a lot of the metallurgy and stuff that a lot of beginners like need to learn after they've started making. Um, and I, I knew a lot of that before I actually started making knives. So I had that as well. Um, my dad just sort of had an anvil lying around in a storage unit. So I didn't have to pay for an anvil. I just set up some fire bricks and hair dryer as a forge with some bituminous coal. Um, and started making rebar stuff, you know, uh, useless knives, but they were, it was really, really fun. And I was like, oh, I can totally do this, like, as, as a thing. And, you know, just sort of on and off for a while. Um, and then, uh, I think, two or three years ago, I made, like, a couple knives that were, you know, like, actually usable and I was like wow I, I could make real knives not just like pieces of rebar that are kind of sharp and uh, <laughs> it sort of spiraled from there I went down the rabbit hole a lot further and uh, bought a, a propane forge and started going at it I built my first and only 2x72. I just got some tubing, welded it together, uh, bought the wheels, and uh, salvaged an old motor. Um, and uh, that, that, like, that point, when I bought the forge and made the, the 2x72, was when I really realized like, that I could make some cool knives. Um, and from then on, then onward i i kind of just would spend all the free time i had uh making knives or watching youtube videos about other people making knives and learning as much about the craft as i could without an actual teacher um to this day i i've never been actually like taught anything in person which i i hope to fix but with corona going on that's sort of difficult uh, but, yeah, nowadays I've got uh, a coal iron 12-ton press, which is the biggest and most expensive thing I own, um, an NC tool knife maker, two-burner forge, and uh, sticking with the dad's old anvil, which is about 140 pounds mounted to a log. Um, I think it's a mouse hole. Not totally sure. There's no uh, actual maker's mark on it. But over time, I just sort of started accumulating a lot of tools, like good stuff. I have a really beautiful old hand crank blower from a machinist guy that my dad knew. 
And I've got a... I don't know what, what the specs on it are, but it's a nice old leg vice from another guy that my dad knew. Um, yeah. It's, it's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, that is really great. I know what you mean. I was definitely an apprentice of YouTube myself. <laughs> there is one guy around here I know that I go and do some work at his shop with him from time to time. Josh Storms. Storms Forge. But for the most part, I figure I'm figuring it out as I go along. I'm definitely jealous of your press. I've seen it on Instagram. I want one now. And I assume that helps a lot with the Damascus. Oh, yeah. Especially it, Mosaic. It really does. Um, I have done, I've done a, a decent amount of Damascus by hand, uh, sometimes with a striker, sometimes without a striker. Um, I, for a long time, I really wanted to do mosaics um, before I had the press. And I was, like, uh, searching around and, you know, texting other knife makers. Like, is it possible to do mosaics with a hand hammer? And some people said yeah, some people said no. So I was just like, all right, let's go. Um, spoiler, it is possible. You can do it. <laughs> I suggest having a striker, but... Um, so I made a couple mosaics uh, by hand, and uh, I was like, wow, these, there's so much more potential in patterns that I could make if I had a press. Like, I feel like that would be a really valuable tool to have. Um, so eventually I just sort of sucked it up and was like, all right, I'm going to buy the press. Um, and uh, I have it now. And it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Do you wish you had saved up for a larger press, or is the 12-ton do everything you want? I was skeptical at first. I was like, it looks so small. It's only 12 tons, and all these other guys have 24 and 50 tons. But it has... I've probably once or twice ever been like, oh, I wish I had more power. Like, it, it does everything. I, I, I can't really imagine uh, needing more power, more tonnage out of out of the press. It's it's really it's really incredible. Um, so no, I, I really don't wish I had saved up uh, for a bigger press. That's not to That's say that other people shouldn't like if if you already have the extra three grand that it would take to have a bigger press, then then sure go for it, but. Uh, the only limitation of that press is the die size. It's just oh, like yeah. there's, a, it's a kind of small surface area to work over. But for the mosaics, like like for pretty involved mosaics that I've done, I, I've never wanted more tonnage. No. All right, that's good because I know I've been looking at them, dreaming. I think I need a heat treat oven first. Do you are you heat treating in your forge or? Sadly, I am still heat treating in the forge. I went for the press before the oven. Um, it's tempting. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think I regret that. And at this moment, I have about enough that I could that I could uh, get myself a heat treating oven. But it, it's a it's a really uh, difficult decision. 
I'm not I'm not sure what I'm what my next big tool purchase is gonna be. It is tough because then I know I've, I'll figure it out and I'm like, oh yeah, I know what I want. And then the next day I see I see your press and I'm like, oh, I need a press. And <laughs> but I think yeah. I'm moving to a shop at my grandparents' house in the next couple months, hopefully sometime this year before winter. Because mm-hmm. in Canada or winter, when it hits minus 40, you're not working in an uninsulated <laughs> garage. I'm just going to tell you. Yeah. But hopefully I want to build a, a tire hammer when I move there. Mm-hmm. I think is nice for knives. The the hit speed I feel like is more valuable than the than the tonnage of a press if you're doing knives. But the press is probably nice for Damascus, especially mosaics. But I guess another question that I wanted to ask you was: Are you doing this? Because you're you're what, 17, if I yes. remember correctly. Yep. So are you working a part time job or are you all in on knives? Uh, well, I was working in a kitchen for a little while. Um. And that was nice because I could like take my knife, my kitchen knives in there and be like, hey, what do you think of this one? Um, and they'd, they'd give me like good feedback. But uh, the uh, restaurant industry is uh, kind of gone right now. So at the moment, it's, it's full-time knife making. But um, if there was an option, uh, I'd probably grab another job if I could. At the moment, I, I really don't want to deal with that. I'd rather just spend all my time in the shop. Yeah, because I know I considered trying to get a job. The COVID is pretty loose here right now. It's it's settled down, especially I live in a rural community, so it's pretty mild. Mm-hmm. But then there's the part of me that thinks, you know, I'm right now I'm making enough money off knives for, you know, what a 15-year-old kid needs. Yeah. But I was wondering what other kids do. So, yeah, I know when I walk into, like, a, a wood store, you know, or wherever, people give me funny looks when I ask for something weird, you know? <laughs> and they're wondering, or, like, the steel supplier, and you walk in there, and you're like, oh, yeah, do you got any 1095? What is, who is this kid? Do you find, are there any uh, challenges, you know, or disadvantages you find that you have because you're young? That's a really interesting question because I really haven't found any yet. I I I consider uh, my youth pretty purely an advantage. Um, I guess like 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 the occasional person that's just like you make knives. Oh, that's all creepy. Like, oh, he's gonna stab me. <laughs> but like that, those are just. Those are just dumb people. Um, yeah. Uh, not uh, disadvantages. Not really. No. Well, can you found many. can you drive yourself? Because I know here at sixteen you can um, mm-hmm. have a full driver's license. So can you drive yourself around to like if you wanted to go to Blade Show? You know, I know I can't. I can't go. I can't drive myself or whatever. But can you? Uh, yes, I can. I can't drive, uh, le- I don't think I can legally drive anybody other than my family, but yes, I have a, I have a driver's license, so I can okay. drive to the hardware store when I need something, or I can That's drive. my biggest issue, is yeah. I can't, you know, I gotta wait for my parents to drive me places. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the biggest disadvantage I find, 
and then you know but the advantages of starting as starting young are just crazy i feel like i mean especially if you know how to use it to your advantage like i think not not to brag but i think i've used it well i mean i you know started a podcast off of the premise that i'm a kid you know i think a lot of my sales come from people want to support a little kid do you see a lot of the advantages of being young uh yes i i really do um i mean like the main advantage that that i that i've experienced is that like i i'd love it if it worked like as a full-time job that could support me but i've got sort of a a grace period between like when it actually is a, a job that would support a like life and when it needs to be a job that will support life <laughs> um so basically like the general advantage of not not absolutely having to sell knives um is is probably the biggest one uh like you said yeah there's probably there's definitely been a couple people that have been like oh i i want to support the the younger makers um, out there and younger you know, artists sorry jeff um <laughs> uh uh so yeah i i think that's definitely been an advantage um other than that uh, let's see advantages being a young maker um yeah th- that those are the big ones um i i also like enjoy the knowledge that i have plenty of time to get better you know or or make pretty much every knife that i can possibly imagine that i really want to make i know i have the time that i can do that um and i and i, I enjoy that uh, but uh, i can't think of anything else right now but if i do i'll let you know yeah well i think you brought up some really fantastic points about the time I find that too. I, you know, if I had been an adult working nine to five instead of you know eight to three at school, you have a lot more time right now to figure it out, and you don't. You have so much more free time and just time in life. Yeah. You know, I figure by the time I die, I'll have been making knives for somewhere around eighty years sure. if I'm lucky, and that's that's pretty good. You know, that's plenty of time, and you can learn more than just knives. You know, yeah. do you want to learn more? Like, do you plan on branching out, or is knives sort of your plan for life? What are you? What are your future plans for Tiny Town Forge? Well, knives is 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 definitely the main plan and the main goal. Um, but I I like jewelry. I like uh, all of that kind of stuff. So um, I I don't necessarily have plans for that, but uh, I seriously don't see a future where i like never do that again um and if i can you know make make uh, jewelry that'll sell on the website with the knives that would be great um let's see i i've i've thought about uh buying stabilizing equipment because i happen to live like right next to a really really great uh, wood supplier, like exotic wood supplier place. Um, and I feel like I could probably just drive down there, grab really nice wood, 
drive back up and stabilize it and then sell that as well, like alongside the knives, or just use that as my own materials to make the knives. But um, as far as like uh, business, the knives is, def- is definitely the main thing uh, right now. And yeah. is that your plan for after school as well? Uh, at the moment, yes, it is. That's great. I feel like knives, you know, making things is so much better than any other job, in my opinion. I can't imagine, like, I'd like to say I lived my whole life without ever working for anybody else. Like, just just as a brag, you know what I mean? Yeah. It sounds pretty good. And I know I have, like, huge... I have this like weirdly huge plan for my my little company. You know, we'll see how Aaron Iron and Steel does, but I'd like to be able to sell. I'd like to have other makers work for me too, like under me. So I would get a small portion of sales, and we'd work in a big shop where people can work together, and you know, make this uh, community of people that can sell under one large store, so it's accessible to people. Yeah. And to make it more efficient processes that you can lower the price and allow more people to have handmade goods. Because I believe there's a big market for it, and people getting into it right now, I believe, are ahead of the game. So I'm I'm always interested to hear what other people plan on doing with their, with their company, if they want to branch or they want to focus. Because I believe those are your two options, is you can focus on one product and make it right or you can focus on a bunch of products and make it good mm-hmm. you know and we have time we're young to make you know maybe two products great who knows yeah well but i, it's I, I all feel in like the way. that would like a, a sort of commun- communal shop space or communal website space or whatever or a combination of the both would probably be really great for um, people who are like trying to make the jump from part-time to full-time is that you just already have a customer base. Yeah. You would already have a a platform that you could have a much bigger guarantee of sales. Yeah. And that's what I'm hoping that this podcast could possibly put people in connection with each other, you know, and, um, yeah, make those connections possible so maybe someday we can come together and make this industry less scattered than it is. And even though I know it is very collaborative, but there's not there's not very many like very large scale shops. You know, there's a couple, you know, five or six people in a shop, but I'd love to see big hundred person, you know, warehouses of workmanship. It sounds it sounds like it could be a... I don't know something that could work, and so I'm interested to hear what other people, what other people like to, like to do with their, with their future. If that's an awful way to put it, but I think everyone <laughs> knows what I mean. Yeah, well, that that would be pretty awesome. If you can pull that off, I'll I'll, I'll come, I'll I'll join you. But yeah, uh, well, we'll see. I feel like there'd be a lot of logistics involved with that. Yeah, that's a it's a tricky one. But I know I'm a I'm completely obsessed with knives, and I make knives because I love to see something 
functional in my hands. I just love the feeling of cutting with a sharp knife. I love everything about it. I enjoy the process of it from start to finish, looking at the raw materials turn into something. I love creating something with my hands, and I love making something beautiful. And all of these things contribute to why why I put myself through all the pain of trying to hand sand a knife. You know what I mean? All of that is why I do it instead of going to play Call of Duty all day. So that a strong second. Why don't you play Call of Duty all day? Is this question? Because it's really, it's really not as fulfilling. You, you, there's no, there's no physical thing at the end uh, that you can hold and use. I, I like the idea of functional art or any or any kind of tools. I love uh, being in the shop all day, sort of getting in the grind of things. Uh, and, and doing that, which, like, to some extent, you can achieve with, with, you know, sitting down and playing video games or whatever. But it's really just not the same uh, to me personally, uh, and it's it's not as good. So I, I choose I choose the shop over the screen. All right, here's a similar question, but maybe more difficult. Mm-hmm. Why should someone else? start making something instead Ooh. it's really not for everyone but why should people do this i i have to disagree with you i believe everybody should make something whether you know it's you know an hour a week you spend knitting or doing cross stitch i don't care what you're making but i believe that everybody you know once in a while should go make something i was thinking more specifically knives but if you're talking just making things yeah just um, making something absolutely there's a sort of feeling of fulfillment or or in being able to use the the thing after the fact and being able to appreciate the 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 journey that it took to make that thing that you just can't really get anywhere else. Um, and sort of a life without that seems like it's not as full as it could be, to me, at least. Um, I if, couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, if you're out here listening to this and you're, you know, you're thinking about it, just go do something. Making something with your hands is the most... When I finish something, when I finish a, a knife... I sit there with it and I hold it for hours Yep. because there's something about it so fantastic. It's connected to you. And I know that sounds, you won't understand that feeling, but it is, unless you've made something and you think it turned out really well, you don't understand that feeling of it being part of you in that product. Yeah. So it is the most fulfilling thing. It's, it's like raising a kid. I guess I don't know if I'm allowed to make that comparison. I don't know. <laughs> but it's so great. So how about this question, Silas? Could yeah. you live without making knives? Oh, boy. Um, I think I could, but I would definitely have to replace it with something. 
and I can't think of anything that could possibly be as great. Like, I enjoy drawing, I enjoy making music, you know, uh, drums, whatever I can, but my favorite thing, like, thing that I've really poured myself into so far is definitely knives. So yeah, I, I could I could survive, but it really would not be as great. Technically. Is it really living? <laughs> is it really I think living? I agree with you though. And it's an obsession. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it you know, it's not really healthy if you <laughs> if you want to look at it that way. I don't know how healthy it is, how obsessed you get with knives, but um I think it's good. You could have worse obsessions. That so. is absolutely true. But yeah, making things is fantastic. That's what this podcast is about. So. Sorry. What do your what do your parents think about? I know you talked about your dad's friends and stuff. You know, your dad has helped you get into it. You know, what do your parents and what do your friends think about it? Do you tell? Do you tell people at school about it? Like how, what do people around you think about your knives? Um, my parents are amazing. Uh, they're very, very supportive. Of, uh, they, they encourage me to go out to the shop and work. They're not like forceful. They're not like, you better be working. But, but they're always like, just encouraging in, in pretty much every way. Uh, my dad uh, is pretty great. He's given me uh, pretty much access to all of the tools that were applicable that he had. Uh, he's a he's a carpenter, so uh, he had a lot of woodworking tools and then like a drill press in the basement. So I, I got a big jump start um, uh, from him. And uh, they're, they're really supportive. They're great. Um, as far as friends go, uh, I don't I'm like the knife friend. It's weird. It's it's great. <laughs> Whenever anybody has a question about a knife, I like I'm the person that they come to. It's they all know. They all think it's a little weird, but a thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't. I haven't gotten any serious negativity uh, from it. Um, yeah, other than that, just random people. Uh, and they say, like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a bladesmith. And they're like, what's that? And I'm like, I make knives. And they're like, oh. And then I show them a picture, and they're like, oh. <laughs> uh, because they're, they're pretty art, arty knives, if you haven't seen them. They're... Oh, your knives are... In... His... For those of you who don't follow him, you should. His knives are absolutely incredible. Hopefully, by the time I'm his age, I'll catch up or something, because he's... His knives are really just fantastic. You definitely and I know I know I get sick of telling people about it, honestly. Because then, you know, either people don't want to hear about it, they're like, oh yeah, that's cool. And then you're disappointed because they didn't think it's as cool as you thought. <laughs> or they're like, what? Oh, I need to get a knife, man. You're like, alright, 300 bucks. And they look at like, you. Oh. Yeah, yeah. nope. <laughs> sometimes I don't even bother to tell them. I'm like oh nothing I don't know if people ask I'll tell them I'm not really advertising all the time but you know 
It's like the guy at the hardware store. He knows me. At the local hardware store, he knows me. He gives me you know, little discounts here and there. Oh yeah. He knows what he do, what I do, and the, like the first time I went in to grab a refill on my propane tank, he was like, "What are you doing with propane?" I was like, "I make knives," and he was like, "Oh." And then I showed him a picture, and he was like, "Oh, awesome! Maybe he'll buy one someday." Um, he so, won't. In my experience, maybe they never do. Maybe no, they they usually don't. They usually don't. But, you know, sometimes they do. I've had a couple people that are like, oh, I totally want to buy one of those. And then, like, the next day, you get an order notification. And you're like, oh, that was the person I met yesterday. Wow. <laughs> yeah. How often do you scare people away? Because I know I get DMs that's like, oh, yeah, I'd love to get a knife, man. You're like, sweet. Here, you know, what do they cost? You just tell them. It's about this much, but I can figure... I always tell people I can figure out finishes based off your, you know, what you can afford yeah. to try and to try and catch them. And they either say, yeah, that price is good or they they just don't say anything. I find people don't want to negotiate price or figure something out. They're just they either like it or they don't. So, yeah, I keep yeah. my prices, though. At first, I was really scared of scaring people away, you know, but now I'm realizing people people seem to want it. How's your business with COVID? Um, and do you scare people away? Often? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. A lot of people, like, they just see the price and they're like, oh, no. But when I get custom orders, um, which I don't very often, but when I do, I, I try to ask them what their budget is before we, like, talk about anything. Like, I'd like a custom knife. And I'm like, what's your budget? And then we go into like what I can do with that budget. Uh, and that oh, that helps a lot with uh with um with custom stuff, but I don't know, what it's listed as on the website is 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 what it is. Uh you can buy it or you can not buy it. Uh, that's yeah. how I that's how I think of it. Um, what was that what was the second little itty bitty question that you asked? Oh, well how's has covid slowed slowed down knife sales or are you still doing fine? Uh, well, interestingly enough, I, it, it, no, it, it hasn't, um, I sold almost nothing up until, like, a month and a half ago, at which point, like, I got a couple, like, a significant increase in, in my sales, um, from, from, that and that and that's post COVID, so. Huh. I, I'm not yeah, sure. People, people are bored. Yeah, people are bored. They want something cool, something interesting. Well. Oh yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about. So, how do you deal with um, mistakes in the shop? Because I know I'm looking at a knife right now that I. Finished up the blade right before, you know, about a month ago. And I've been looking at it, trying to decide if it's fine or not. But there's a little dip from grinding. I made a mistake. Oh, yeah. And I think I need to scrap it. And I notice I scrap, like, oh, man, almost half my knives I make probably for sale. Like, for these my custom orders, I almost scrap half of them and restart. Mm -hmm. So how often are you scrapping knives? How do you 
how do you deal with that and keep going? Do you need to take a day off when you scrap one or you dive, dive right in? What do you, how do you feel about it? Yeah, so I, I, I try to, to finish every project. Like, like I don't, I obviously don't finish every single one. Like if it's heat treated and it's just cracked down the whole thing, I can't finish that. Um, but if there's like a, a grinding issue or something and it's, it really, it really depends if, if it makes it past, if it's, if it's Damascus and it makes, and all the welds are good, which is pretty rare. Most of my scrapping is done before the, the steel is even, is even done. Oh yeah. Most, mostly the most part where I lose the most knives is definitely forging. Um, I've just had plenty of problems in the past with, with Damascus not being all fully welded and stuff. Um, all the ones that, that are up and that are for sale are, are good ones, but I've had problems in the past, and I've got sort of a pile of unfinished steel and knives that are forged out that have D-lambs or, or something like that, and there's like a big bubble in it, which is a weird one because I tried to do dirty welds in it. Whenever I heated it up, there was just like a big bubble, in it, like a pizza crust. It was kind of cool. But I got I got that I too on the last, the last billet I tried. Yeah. I had mine cottage cheesing on me too. I think my anvil must have been cold or something, because it was winter too, and I put it on the anvil and I started hammering, and it just started ripping down the middle on my initial weld. Like oh. just, yeah, it just, yeah, cottage cheesed. So, I think I need to do. I need to build a new propane forge before I do any more Damascus. Because mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of it's not. in being patient and letting it heat up all the way. Uh, well, my my propane forge won't won't weld, so I've been using the coal, and it's not. I want to use propane. Yeah, hand hammer and a coal forge is. It it works for Damascus, but. It's really tough. You're not going to get... I mean, you can, but it's going to be tough to do anything other than uh, flat layers of some kind. Yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely scrapped a couple knives. Uh, some of them were just like, oh, that's a really ugly shape. I don't even know why I started this. And, uh, and I'll just scrap that. Some of them, some of them, like, were totally different blade shapes in my brain, and, like, while I was making it up until a point, and then I'd mess up on the grinder or something, and then that turns into a shorter knife, but... Yeah, bladesmiths don't make, uh, don't make mistakes, mistakes just shorter knives. knives. Yep. Yep. Well, I know, I lose most of my blades in grinding, because I recently got my 2x72, mm -hmm. and, like... Like this last one, it's just near the choil, and I put, my angle was slightly off when I, when I entered, and there's a, there's a little, almost a facet, the right gap. on the choil, just. Edge side? <sighs> or, or spine? Um, it's like right in the, right in the transition between blade and handle, and yeah, I've just got a little yeah. gouge. If so you mess up there, there isn't much you can do, because. And I thought I could take it out shorter. in hand sanding. Yeah. 
So I sanded the whole blade up and then realized that I didn't fix it at all. So I'm feeling kind of dumb. But it's all part of the game. There's no undo button in knife making. And that's part of the thing I like about it. Yeah. So how about how about this for a question? I just thought of a good one. What tool do you think made the biggest difference for you in in your work? What made the biggest jump in quality of your work or or quantity? What made the biggest difference for you in your workflow? Um it's either my grinder or my file guide. Um probably the file guide because I had the grinder really early on before I was like actually making good knives. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to say the file guide. I do a lot of integrals, so there is really just no other way to get flat shoulders um, and the tang transition to the bolster uh, other than a file guide. You got a carbide one, or what are you, what are yeah, you I've using? Yeah, I've got a carbide file guide. Forgot the brand name, but um, it works. Works good. I tightened it down way too far on, on something, and it got stuck. I kind of had to like cut it off of my knife. <laughs> but I just found new bolts, or my dad actually found new bolts for me, and uh, yeah, it still works. It's it's a good little file guide. I suggest carbide over over just hardened steel or, or pretty much anything else because. Yeah. The abrasives just don't touch it. It's great. That's great. And what is your most valuable tool to you? Uh, What's your most, like, I don't want to say useful, but you know what I mean. What's the most valued tool in your shop? It's probably the grinder. Like, I, there, there is nothing I could do without the grinder. Um, I, I just recently got a, a little portable bandsaw. Um, and that's great, but I, I don't think I, I couldn't make anything without the 2x72. And, uh, you know, like I could, I could forge stuff without the press. I could forge stuff without either of my two, like, commercial forges. I could just set up a hairdryer and some fire bricks, um, like I did before. Um, but I couldn't make decent knives without my grinder so yeah definitely the grinder that's interesting because i know so you see people out here listening that it's really simple tools make the biggest difference i assume that file guide was probably about what a hundred bucks carbide's pretty expensive yeah and a grinder you built yourself you know there's maybe two hundred dollars in tools there that make the biggest difference in his work and so it shows that you don't need a lot to get into it, and small things make a massive difference. Yeah. I bought fresh files um, a couple weeks ago, and fresh files are amazing. <laughs> don't cheap out on your files. Don't buy wood files by accident, like <laughs> someone around here might have done. Fresh files are amazing. You know, keep them, take care of your files, because I would have to say that's my most valuable tool. Um, which I guess is a cliche. Lots of people say files, and I gotta agree with them. Yeah. Files are amazing. Files are pretty awesome. Yeah. 
I, I need to I need to buy some better files, like nice files, because I have I've got like some newer Nicholson files, and just random files that show up that I find places, um, but yeah, I I need better files. My first few knives were made almost entirely with a a big 16-inch Nicholson Pipeliners file. Nice. And that tool, those that like I my dad gave me two of them or something, and they they did a lot. But they're single cut, or yeah, no, they're not bastard. Bastard files are great. Mm-hmm. Like draw filing, you can do a lot with draw filing. I made that an Akiri true. last year. With only hand tools, and yeah, draw filing will give you a nice finish. So, first thing you do, buy a big set of files. You know, if you're doing integrals, get a file guide, build a grinder. My 2x72, I'd have to say, was my biggest step up in workflow. Mm -hmm. Like, just this instant jump of... Otherwise, it took me like a year to build the skills that I got just by making one knife on my 2x72. And... Ceramic belts are worth it. Like aluminum oxide and zirconia, I use them for handles, but ceramic belts are amazing. Yeah. So that's another thing I'd recommend. It's simple things. Spend an extra $2 on your belts. Spend an extra $5 on your files. It's simple things make a big difference. And I think that's a, that's a good lesson to leave them with. Yeah. So I guess... I had one more, sort of the last question of the of the episode, and then we can just freestyle for a minute, and we'll get, then we'll wrap it up. All right. So, uh, this is a segment that I'd like to do on every episode. We're going to be highlighting a maker that has inspired us, or we've learned something from them in the past, you know, recently. So someone that's really just been... You know, you look at their work and you think, wow, I want to do that. Or I, I made a knife, you make a life like that. Anything like that. Who's been inspiring you or teaching you something recently? Um, I would say almost definitely. Oh, man, can I, can I do two? Yeah, go ahead. I'd, I'd say Joshua Prince, just for his incredible, incredible patterns just the craziest things that you have ever seen and honestly like innovation in in the types of patterns that people think are possible uh, he's doing things that nobody else is doing um, and the, the style and shape of his knives um, are, are just so unique uh, it's it's pretty incredible if you haven't seen him I know he's been on knife talk and he's been on uh, Toby's Fire and Steel, or whatever it's called, and uh, uh, yeah, they're they're awesome. Um, other than that, uh, also one of uh, one of the knife makers. He's one of the knife makers that I've met in person, and he's a he's a really great guy. He's like just kind. He's nice. <laughs> Um, also, uh, Salem Straub is, is just the cleanest, the cleanest chef knives you have ever seen. Um, really incredible work. 
And he taught Will Stelter, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah. So yeah, he's the granddaddy of... So those are some great choices. Yeah. Those two, they're definitely just incredible. Yeah, Josh Prince was on Knife Talk recently. You guys yeah. could check out that episode. It's on the Makery, probably. Should yeah, yeah. I bet yeah, you it is. it is. I yeah, what am I saying? Of course it is. It's <laughs> on the Makery. You know, as am I, of course. And you know, his recent knife with that wrought iron in the middle was mm-hmm. just and the way it cracked and stuff. Go check that knife out. Like that knife is incredible. And yeah. Salem Straub is also, he's just, uh, one, he's, he's one of the, like, the big forerunners for custom knives lately. Yeah, he, he's, he does, pretty, like, like, really, really, really clean work. I, I don't think many people are doing just that level of, of perfection in chef's knives like not that nobody else is doing it but it's really hard to find people that are that are doing things to that level um so yeah definitely so for me i have a couple i guess i'll pick one for this episode um the guys over at blenheim forge they're in they're in the uk i believe and they're just I love I love their knives. I love Japanese style knives. And when I saw them, like I spent must have been an hour just scrolling through their page. They do a lot of, you know, cladding, stainless cladding, iron cladding, you know, Japanese style with a western twist, lots of Damascus. Um they're grinding on the big Kaitentoshi, you know those big uh, water wheels. Oh Your, yeah. Like, wet grinding wheels. I love those. Yeah. So the guys over at Blenheim Forge are my inspiration this week. They really wanted me to, made me want to um, do a knife in their style. I like how they do their handles. So that's mine for this week. I'll put all of those, Salem Straub, Josh Prince, and Blenheim Forge all in the show notes. You guys can check them out. And I guess we're getting right down to the the closing of the show. I'd like to open it up to you to say some final message to the people listening, anything that's been on your mind that you'd like to share, or just any any closing thoughts, a quote, um, any, anything you got. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, you know, there's a little community of, of young knife makers out there. Uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty tight. Uh, Y'all should go check out Tim Martell, Tim Martell Art on Instagram. He's great, doing really, really wacky, like, material choices and uh, just just weird, weird stuff. Really cool. Um, can't think of much else. Uh, no, that's it. All right, well... I would like to close the show by saying thank you to everybody who has listened to the show up to this point and who will listen to the show. We've had a really fantastic um, 
you know, release. Of course, this is our third episode. Both of the other ones released last week. And in this past week, we had, you know, plenty of streams, plenty of, uh, I've got a lot of positive feedback. I really appreciate all you guys who have taken the time to send me a message just saying you like the show. That really makes me feel motivated to do a lot more of this, and I really appreciate it. So, you know, I appreciate anybody, you share the show out, like, let's get this thing really popping, because we've had a fantastic reception so far, and I really appreciate you guys for it. If you would like to be on the show, shoot me a message over at um, Young Makers Podcast on Instagram, or even... You know, suggest to me somebody, and I'll send them a DM and see if they'd be interested. You know, a young maker, call it anybody under 20, well, roughly, you know, special cases. Like, I had Josh Smith last week. Go check out that episode. He was fantastic. He said a lot of really good things. It was a great conversation. He's the youngest ever master smith. So definitely, definitely go talk to him, or (laughs) listen to me talk to him. That was a great episode. And stay tuned for more. We're on The Makery. Check out the other shows on The Makery. They're all fantastic. I've been listening to them while I work. There's plenty, and the community is growing. So go check that out. And, yeah, again, it doesn't have to be knife makers. We want to grow it to be a larger community. Young makers, not not young knife makers. Although I love having fantastic young knife makers like you, Silas, on the show. So thank, thank you very you. much for joining me. And thanks for making the show in general. I think it, it'll probably be really, really good for the community of young makers that's out there. So thank you. That's the hope. Because, yeah, like you said, we've got a great community of young makers coming up. And I'm really excited to see the things being made in the next 20, 50 years. I think it's going to be really good. And thank you to all you older makers who have been helping out us young guys. Because you're making this stuff just as much as we are. Like, you're making our stuff just as much as we are, almost. So, to all you guys who give us tips and stuff, you know, thank you. Young makers, make sure you stay appreciative of the great community we're living in. And anyone who's thinking about it, get into it. Get into whatever you want to work on. You know, pick up, pick up a tool and make something. And unless Silas has anything else... We'll close the show with that. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. All right. Well, that's all we got. Good night. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network. Uh-huh.